All right, people, it is going off track, and the Stumptown coffee is flowing. Oh, my God. Jonah, you, are you have you literally almost gone through two of those? So we, I have, like, yeah, like maybe an ounce left in my second one. You're drinking concentrated Dude. caffeine. And I haven't really eaten anything except I had a kale shake. I don't know how you are even coherent. If I drink one, all of one of those, I feel like I'm coked out of my head. No, I feel weird. <laughs> I, it's hard to explain how I feel. <laughs> Do you feel awake? <laughs> Pick an advert. I feel like I've like a heightened, like my senses are heightened. Right. Like Your nerves are all a little twitchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I need some sense heightening. I Dude. need some daredevil in a glass. Try some of this. Let it be known that we're definitely not sponsored by Stumptown. I'll but we, no, wa- but we anything, want to we be. be. I l- we do get it. They do bring us some here at the studio, and I love it, and I drink it all the time. But Here at Rubber Tracks in Williamsburg, Brooklyn? Yes. So, no, yeah. <laughs> beautiful Rubber Tracks? Um, yeah, beautiful, I feel beautiful. like if I had another one, I would... Have a heart attack? Yeah, I would maybe have a heart attack. <laughs> don't. I just feel like, uh, I don't know. Like, everything seems loud and kind of echoey. <laughs> Kids, you're like that. Don't try anyway. this at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? I don't know. It could all be in my head. But uh, speaking of things in your head, <laughs> it's a terrible segue for a great person, uh, James Deweese. James Deweese. All right, all his bands. Awesome podcast. Uh, Coalesce. Uh huh. Newfound Glory. Get Up Kids. My Chemical Romance. Reggie in the Full Effect. His new band with Matt Pryor. Yeah, which is Matt and James. Matt and James. Um, Band with Frankie from My Chem. Right. Deep Spells. Is that what it was? I can't remember. He says it in the podcast. He says it. We're just trying to sound smart here. Well, there's Common Denominator. Common Denominator. That's kind of part of Reggie. And there's that techno one he does. Fluctuations. Is that it? Um, Damn it. But it's funny. Yeah. Dude, I literally, like, I think I can't. You can't think you're shaking now? <laughs> Too much like, coffee. I feel like if I hadn't had this, that would be running into my tongue. And now I'm like, the synapses aren't working. <laughs> they're firing, they're, they're firing too quickly. Yeah, it's happening. firing too fast. You're too um, smart. It's I that. can't go anywhere near that, man. I can't drink like a Diet Coke without getting edgy and really? jittery. I'm bad on caffeine. It's not my jam. But I'm great on orange juice. Although last night I, I, I took a vitamin C pill, which I do a lot, to stem off sickness. And then I ate, because I've decided to diet, half a bag of dark chocolate-covered pomegranates. Because that's, that's dieting, right? That's healthy? Yeah, you're okay. eating fruit. I didn't realize, you know, if you drink too much vitamin C, like your stomach starts to hurt. Ooh. So I did that, and I was like, all of a sudden sitting there watching TV and went, oh, oh no. Oh, God, this is happening. But you know, like, when you're going to be sick, but you're aware. So you have that, like, separation of, okay, this, uh, this is that feeling. Maybe you're feeling that now, Jonah. <laughs> No, I don't feel sick. Okay. Wait, so how did the story end? Yeah, what happened? Uh, I didn't throw up, mm. which was kind of, which was, I'll do anything to not throw up. I think most people will, but I, I hate it. Isn't that weird? I hate because it. it usually solves the problem. I guess it's because it can be dreadfully painful to throw up sometimes. It's never, it's, I feel like the idea of it's always worse. Then you do it and you're like, that was not that bad. Yeah, except that it seems then, like whenever I do it, I, you ever that super violent where it hurts your chest bone oh yeah oh my god i don't like that i got food poisoning or some kind of virus so bad that i had to be taken away in an ambulance uh 
because I was just like, you know, when you throw up and then you feel better. Yeah. There was no feeling better. It just kept going. Uh-huh. And this was like long. This was some exorcist project- projectile vomiting where you realize, oh, they weren't just making that up. People throw up this way <laughs> from a standing position flowing out of your mouth like stand by me. This is horrifying. Oh, it was the worst. And uh, then I go to the hospital and I'm like, give me something, please. And they just... This nurse was just like, just not reacting, and screaming, <laughs> yelling. And then I started throwing up again, and it was just so violent, and I'm convulsing. It's horrible. That is the worst, and then there's nothing left, and you just keep convulsing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why and are we talking about this? <laughs> well, because that's, that's how this began. Because that's what happens if you don't go to rehab. Now, yeah. I know a lot of you tune in just to listen to the first few minutes of us and our funny little anecdotes here. So. And a lot of you forward because you have half a brain. You should yeah. really... I know a lot of you do that even though no one's ever told any of us that they've done that. <laughs> I know there's a lot of you out there. Yeah. Just tune in for the three of us. But yeah. really, this is a great podcast. It's hilarious. So if you forward it to us this point right now, here's James DeWeese. Yeah, there's a guest on after us. Just FYI. <laughs> James DeWeese. It's going on For those of you listening, uh, Mr. James DeWeese is in, and right as we walked in, we said, hey, James, why, why did you break up Mike Hem? And then you went on this tirade of how you think you're the curse of death of bands. Well, no, that's what, well, I, I guess so. I was saying that. <laughs> Including know. Reggie in the full effect. Yeah, I cursed myself. What about Coalesce? Uh, no, I played the drums in that. Only yeah. as a keyboard player am I the curse of death in bands. But no, that was, you know, that's, everybody think, well, not everybody, um, I don't know whether this is all in my mind or whatever, but it seems like people associate keyboard players with a different style of music than, like, say, you know, you're in a a rock band and you want to expand, you know, your songwriting. So you add in, like, an organ part or a piano part or, or synthesizer part or whatever. But for a lot of fans listening to that, they're like, no, like, no, no. No synthesizers, no. Like that's why I made a hat that said "Keyboards are for pussies." Um, it was actually a quote from Sebastian Bach on Headbangers Ball one night. It was like "Keyboards are for pussies." He also, bah, bah. He also had the no fat chicks. Or wait, what? No, he, no. Some, AIDS, he had yeah. AIDS kills fat dead T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That they, so that guy's got a good perspective on things. They yeah. made him apologize for it like the next night during 120 minutes. Really? Yeah, like he had to like break you know break into 120 minutes and. It was like Sebastian was like, oh, I'm sorry, had that shirt on. Uh, it's not my shirt. It was a French shirt because I didn't have any shirts. <laughs> what? Can you see? Can you I just, walking out like, this shirt's not offensive, is yeah. it? <laughs> What's this shirt say? Oh, it says, it, it says hooray for me. Like, <laughs> I mean, you could find a bunch of illiterate people and put them in really disgusting, offensive shirts and tell them what it says. And then when they walk around, they're like, well, I always figured those shirts from the 80s, the Japanese shirts that everybody wore. Remember that? Like, there was this big thing in the 80s, everybody wore Japanese t shirts, like, or shirts with, like, characters on them. And I figured they probably all said, like, <laughs> round eyed douchebag or whatever <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> like, they must write that down as a band name immediately. <laughs> round eyed douchebag. I have some friends who, like, graduated college and went and taught in Japan and, like, did this tour of Asia and they sent back this photo. And apparently, you know, just I guess every cast off T-shirt in the world is, you know, sent out of this country, uh, out of the out of, not the world, but out of the U.S. So there's a picture of these people in, I want to say Tahiti. They took them on a boat ride, and they went and got some locals to take the boat ride. And it was some island where, um, you know, if your, your teeth aren't flat, that's 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 a bad sign for bad spirits. So this whole island would like file their teeth flat. 
So it's them standing with these two kids who took them on a boat tour of this island. And the kid's smiling with these teeth that just fit perfectly like a Simpsons character. And he had on a t-shirt that just said, 12 inches of swinging meat. (laughs) (laughs) He had no idea what he read. But that was on the shirt. And my goofy friend's just standing there smiling next to him. Hmm. Brilliant. So maybe Sebastian, you know, is Polynesian. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, but when I walked around Japan, I've, I, I'd never been to one of those stores where they sell like you know the, the guys you see here, like the any kind of like swap meet, and there's like Japanese dudes with duffel bags buying blue jeans and t-shirts, and I always wonder like what the f is going on. But I finally found some of those stores in Japan where it's like a Rambo t-shirt, like from the movie, with not even like a picture of Sylvester Stallone, but a cartoon picture of him <laughs> that's like three hundred dollars. Or you're like. What? Like, <laughs> that shirt sucks. I mean, it's amazing for how bad it is. But 300 bucks. Yeah, they scooped it up. And they have a guy making, like, minor threat t-shirts in the back. And they want, like, 500 bucks for that. And then, you know, people walk in and buy it. $500. Minor threat. Like, okay. Like, wow. You know, I should open up a Bad American t-shirt shop in Japan. And, and you could call it that. Bad American, American t-shirt shirt. That would probably make it even cooler yeah. if it was Bad American T-shirt shop. <laughs> are, you from, are you from Kansas? Uh, Missouri. Missouri, okay. Yeah, Got Kansas it. City's confusing to a lot of people. Yes, of course. Because it's split down a river. Right. Well, not really split, split down a river. It's just split down a state. Mm-hmm. There's a road called State Line that, uh, you know, you can buy beer on Sundays on one side of it. On the other side, you can't. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas okay. City, Kansas... Uh, it's not really a town anymore, right? And you were in, uh, you were you were in Colas before the get up. Yeah, Colas okay. was uh, got kicked out of college for playing in Colas for going on my first trip to New York, and we played uh, CMJ like nineteen ninety five, like the fall, and uh, got kicked out of college that year. Um, because they didn't like the band? No, well, because I'd missed too much school. Because ah. Cole S was based out of Kansas City. So I would drive back from Columbia, Missouri and go to band practice stuff. Then we did like tour and played a couple shows in Kansas City. But, you know, I was late to class and it's a music department. So attendance really mattered. Oh. And uh, came up and did a show. I missed Friday afternoon, and I was back at school on Monday. And then the following Thursday to drive back to Kansas City to do a split with Napalm Death. <laughs> which was super cool to me at 19 years old. It was like, you know, I got a call from uh, Barney from Napalm Death from the UK where he was like, good luck, mate. And I was just like, mom, <laughs> mom, it's Barney from Napalm Death on the phone. Just made my year. And she's like, I don't know who that is. But I don't like the name. <laughs> but uh, when I got back to college, you know, and it was telling my advisor, who was also the chairman of the music department, like, look what I've done. Like, we're making a CD. It's coming out. And he's like, oh, well, Okay, I got I got news for you. Um, <laughs> was it so a conservatory? I, yeah, oh, he was wow. like, you either drop out or I kick you out, and you. He's like, you either drop out and keep your GPA, or I kick you out and you lose it. So I was like, okay, drop out. What instrument was it? Uh, I was there for percussion. Oh wow, yeah, percussion, and then like, I went to a school before that called William Jewell College, which is like a private college in Liberty. And was there for like singing and percussion and stuff. But when I got to the larger school, the way, like the workload was so much more insane. Where you know they, it's I was doing more work than like in college of all the extracurricular stuff you have to go to like orchestra performances. You have to do you know um, 
ensemble practices, plus you have to do solo rehearsals, and to add that on with choir too would have just been nuts. Because I was also delivering pizzas. So, <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, this is like obviously this was a time way before the internet, and I remember hearing in zines when you were in Coalesce, like this story, at like a Wilkesbury fest or something. Oh yeah, you threw your drums in the crowd, and some girl got hit, and I never. It was like everyone would talk about it, but no one knew it really happened, and oh. there was no internet. So yeah, I, I've was, always wondered about People are this. getting pages about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like, something happened. Well, one, one, one. Yeah. Because yeah, this it, was a long time ago, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, the last show of Coalesce. It was actually the first time that Coalesce and Get Up Kids had ever really played together. Um, and I didn't really know them then. It was like really one of the first times I hung out. And... Uh, like, we'd done a show in Detroit at the Detroit Fest where during a song, like, you know, I just threw my floor tom up in the air and then jumped up and f- grabbed it, like, and flew out out into the crowd with it and then made it back on stage and finished the song. So we had the idea that, you know, we were just going to destroy everything. And in the heat of the moment, like, I just took the floor. T- I don't know why. I took the floor tom behind my head and threw it as hard as I could. And it made it all the way across the firehouse. And I remember seeing it fly across and it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and as soon as the show was done, like, I go running through the crowd. And this poor girl is sitting there at the merch table. Um, and she's got an ice pack on her head. And... Every most hated person <laughs> in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania that day. The promoter called the cops to have me arrested for assault. Um and like and then while I'm trying to, you know, see what happened, all these people are stealing everything <laughs> from the where are the like the stuff that wasn't broken, people are like just taking it and running off with it. And I'm like, oh so Jim from the get up kids helped me chase down the kid that was running out with my snare. So while I was sitting with this girl, Jim runs up and he's like, James, they're taking all your stuff. <laughs> and so we'd run out, get back like, I think like two pieces of my drum set. But uh, I, was, I told the girl, like, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll take you to the hospital. Let's go get you checked out. You know, I'll pay for everything. Like, this is totally my fault. And she's like, it's okay. And she's like, why did you do that? And I was like, I didn't do it on purpose. Like, I didn't throw it at you. It's like, I didn't mean for it to hit anybody or hurt anybody, but, uh, she had a nice, like, big-ass lump on her head. Um, I gave her so much merch, um, <laughs> uh, not just my band, like, she got everybody's merch. <laughs> I was calling in favors from every band, like, I remember, like, Hot Water Music, the Get Up Kids, um, then, uh, I remember her boyfriend wanted Converge, a Converge hoodie. So, you know, knew those guys. So it was like, can I please have a hoodie? I gotta... <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, is, she, I, is she still calling you for merch? No. <laughs> I had a lady like that, though. Shows up every time like we would play around D.C., Baltimore. And she would come to the merch table. She did it like six times before we caught her. And she's like an older woman. You know, she's there with her kids, supposedly. <laughs> she uh, kept coming up being like, you know, when we used to do the fake blood with one of the Reggie Group's common denominator, she'd be like, you ruined my daughter's brand new white, like, Gucci hoodie. And it's, it's brand new. You ruined it. And like, oh, God, I'm sorry. So she would do that to everybody in the band. Tour manager, merch guy, me, guitar players, bass player, drummer. Like, and everybody would give her another hoodie. And... <laughs> It was just bizarre because then she, she walked out with five hoodies. Well, I used to, you I know, feel like Steve would be like, "Fuck off." 
I don't think she ever got looker. Okay. But uh, she, because I think she would do the same thing. She'd be like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, you knew what you are getting into. <laughs> but, um, I remember, like, I was dressed up in a, one of the costumes, and she's like, hey, are you and Reggie in the full effect? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, my daughter's hoodie. And I was like, got ruined by the blood? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, we didn't do blood tonight. <laughs> and she's like, um, and I was like, you hit me up like two nights ago for this. Like, I'm on to you now. <laughs> and yeah. You get a shirt, not a It's hoodie. Reggie That's merch. Like, who funny. gives a crap? Like, really? You want six of these? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you started out as a drummer. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, you know, uh, I started out playing guitar and singing in a band in high school. No. Started out playing drums. No. Playing bass in a band in high school. And then switching to drums because we couldn't find a drummer. And then from drums, uh, switching to guitar and singing because I was sick of playing drums. Yeah, so how did... Because that was so weird. When you joined the Get Up Kids, I remember, like, first of all, this is such a guitar-driven band. And and then also, it's the drummer for Coalesce is playing keyboards. Yeah. Like, how did that kind of come together? Uh, well, I lived with Robin Ryan in Kansas City. And uh, we would go... I was the only one that was old enough to really go out and drink. So... And this is like really right around the time I started drinking because I didn't really, you know, I never drank in high school or anything. And uh, so when it's brand new, you know, you don't get hung over. You don't. And it's just, it's just great. <laughs> and I would get off work at Pizza Hut. They would call me or I'd call them and figure out what kind of pizza to bring home and what kind of beer to stop and get. And so we would sit. Ryan and Rob had a piano. And we would sit around the piano and eat pizza, drink beer, and make up songs, and just, you know, it was fun. But, uh, I remember, like, Matt Pryor lived up the street, and he would come down, and he had asked me, you know, he's like, oh, I have these songs, you know, I want to put some piano in some of these songs, like, will you help me write this since you play piano? And uh, I remember sitting down, and then it was like, I went to the studio with him, and I think the first thing I ever played piano on was Ann Arbor. And uh, then... It was kind of like to start going to rehearsals, start recording more, and then, you know, it was going to coalesce, practice less, going to get a kid, practice more. And then all of a sudden, you know, with coalesce, it was like Sean and Jess had a blowout. So the band was breaking up again. And it was like, you know what? I'm just going to play with the get up kids now. And just started playing with them. And then went on tour at the drive in and was like, their keyboard player also plays guitar. <laughs> like, hmm, maybe, maybe I could do that. And it was like, no, just add more keyboards. And it kind of became a little insane with Get Up Kids because it was like, if you look at like keyboard players in the 80s rock bands, like you take Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, who's got like 12 keyboards, you know, these walls of keyboards. Or I don't know the guy from Bon Jovi's name. Tony Fields, is that it? I have no idea. Damn it. He's got that sweet hair. Yeah. That sounds like too normal of a name. Yeah. It it's New like... Jersey, though. You yeah, know, that's I mean, true. The guy who, who writes musicals. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, um, he he still rocks four. Yeah. Like, and... Uh, what sounds can't you get on one? <laughs> that's the, Well, and even now you can split them into, like, you know, you could split an 88-key keyboard most of the time into, like, 8 to 16 different keyboards. So, really, you've got, you know, all you need right there in one. Just having a bunch looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> My setup with MCR was, like, six because <laughs> you got a big riser to yeah. fill it's like, like lots of drums anytime I see like a keyboard player that's on a riser with like a micro Korg like you know these little miniature like shoebox sized keyboards mm -hmm. 
It's like they better have sweet dance moves, <laughs> or it's just a waste of space because you got like an eight by eight riser and a real skinny, like hip looking dude, with like awesome boots, who's like playing this keyboard that runs on batteries, trying to look cool. And it's like you know what looked real sweet? Twenty of those little keyboards. <laughs> like no one would have messed with you, you know? Because then you're like Rick Wakeman all of a sudden, like, this, like you know, why is why is the guys that who, I would. Be on like the internet going like that dude's got twenty microcorgs, dude. It's like in the old days when they would put up walls of fake marshals, you oh, know, yeah. behind the band, now, but with keyboards, just get fake keyboards, yeah, you know, not even plug. Dude, I went to the show like I, there was no MIDI chords coming out of any of those keyboards except for the one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're all just shells. Did you ever yeah. rock? Did you ever try the guitar? I did on the very first register, the original Roland AX1 guitar that uh, only ran on MIDI. And this was before they started making, like, MIDI cables long. So the longest one I could find, and this was, like, you know, scouring music stores in every city. It was like, I need, like, a 50-foot MIDI cable. And the guy's like, I need a yacht. (laughs) 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 But, um... (laughs) <laughs> so I had like eight foot. I think nine nine feet was the max. That so sucks. on stage, I had to keep my MIDI module like right next to me. But anytime I would rock out, MIDI cable right out of the module. So <laughs> we play in the show, and you know I want to rock out like the guitar players, thinking oh. that it looks just as cool. You know, kidding myself. And all of a sudden, like I'm playing, then the keyboard part's gone. And look, oh, I pulled the MIDI cable out. <laughs> so plug it back in, play a little bit, kind of get lost in the music, pull it back out. Like, just didn't work. <laughs> what was it like writing? Like, I remember hearing the live at the Granada Theater record, and I obviously you played keyboards on the songs before they had a keyboard player, like Coming Clean or anything. What was it like writing parts for songs that kind of already existed? You follow the bass line. Yeah. Yep. That's that, I did it for Get Up Kids. I did it at Newfound Glory. It was like you just follow the bass line, and then in choruses. Um, I mean, it's, it's a trick that a lot of bands use live anyways, but uh, in choruses, usually like a, a B3, like a Hammond B3 organ sound always fits right because the frequencies fit like right in with where the bass is the low, the guitar is the mid. There's like an in-between right there. It's called a low mid. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the keyboards could fit right in there, so it just makes the sound even fuller, like you know, if you think like the rock bands that you go see now as they get on a bigger scale, like, you know, take Green Day, who, you know, they are a great three piece pop punk band, but when they play like their big arena hits, they bring out the keyboard player, you right. know, and he sits and plays and fills in those gaps to give it that huge, like, kind of wall. And uh, that was sort of what I was doing with Get Up Kids. We weren't really making a wall, though. <laughs> um, and also, like, I was on the side of the stage facing sideways because there's no room for keyboards in small clubs. Yeah. Like if you have a four-piece band and then a kid playing like a... Did you ever see Murder by Death way back in the day? Like, And that kid would lug around that 88-key Roland and try to set it up flat. I remember talking to him in Iowa once and I was like, you got to turn that thing, man. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you want to fit on stage? Let's like, yeah, see how uncomfortable you are. And he's like, yeah, it really kind of sucks. He's <laughs> like, because there's no room for you on that stage. The stage is small. Turn the keyboard sideways. And I remember he tried it, and he's like, but now I can't see anybody. I was like, what's well, the sacrifice? <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice is you don't get to look at anybody. It's like, but sometimes it's a blessing. <laughs> Not having to face anybody. You're just facing a wall. It's all going to tell you, you suck. Like, come on. <laughs> 
Wall never flips you off. See, if I put Steve next to it, then we haven't had any of those problems. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, <coughs> so Get Up Kids, so let's, uh, when you and I met, wasn't Get Up Kids, it was Reggie. Yeah. And uh, you had this video um, for Congratulations Smack and Caddy. The peanut butter and jelly video. Peanut butter and jelly. You know, supposedly two of those costumes are still at Fuse. Probably not. They, oh, you think, like, well, it's so, I remember they shipped, there's two in, at the Vagrant office in their storage, and then I remember they shipped the other peanut butter and jelly costume to New York <laughs> for that TV show thing. <laughs> Dude, so, all right, this is funny. So we played this video, and, and James would come by a lot, and he's James, and he's fun, so we're like, just, just have him back live. You, like, co-hosted yeah, stuff, yeah, you yeah. hung out, he was basically on-air talent at Fuse. Yeah. And, like, if I wasn't there, like, James would come in, it was I was always there. Yeah, you were hanging all the time. So somebody there uh, had this idea to take peanut butter and jelly and make it into a TV show pilot. And they brought James in, and they hired like all these writers and stuff. And oh, what was it. the kid's name? Chris Wild. Chris Wild. Yeah, he played peanut butter. And it was like it was really fucked up. It was like they had some girl playing jelly, and periodically, like jelly would just shoot out. Yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. did this air and it wasn't no. jelly it was like hair gel yeah remember uh, it was like cause she got it all over me for the pilot like you know they interviewed Paco mm-hmm. and then she shot goo all over me <laughs> and I remember like having it in my hands I was like what is this and she's like I think it's hair gel there was like no concept for it it was like a weird talk show with peanut butter and jelly yeah I couldn't figure it out no probably why it didn't work i would watch I would, that yeah <laughs> now it's like something that'll show up on like netflix oh, yeah. like the whole season of one episode that i don't even know like what was the point of the show i did i wasn't I mean, involved there, i remember stepping back on you guys have a lot of fun i'm gonna be over here trying to hope that james doesn't strangle a peanut butter jar remember i could i was like oh well for me it was like living in kansas city and I was newly divorced, so any trip to New York City was a good trip to like to get out of Kansas City. And I remember coming to New York, and it was like, oh, you know, we're going to tape a pilot for a uh, peanut butter and jelly TV show. And it was like, that sounds just as bizarre as it sounds. <laughs> and it's like, but I'm in. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be there. Did you study? I mean, because when Reggie performed, it's so visual. Like, like, there's all kinds of stuff going on between everybody on stage dressed like Paco, between you coming out with a little um, tiny toy forerunner. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. That was yeah. my, my favorite one was uh, I had a toy a, a Power Wheels fire truck, and it was Reggie opening up for Newfound Glory. And we were at Webster Hall, and it was right around my birthday. So I'm in my little fire truck, and my little fireman's out, and you know, like the short shorts. Like, no shirt, little fireman's hat, driving across the stage, and the thing actually sprayed water. So I'm, like, spraying water on the crowd, singing these funny techno songs. And as I'm doing, like, the first song, the fire department busts in, like, to Webster Hall. And I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. This must be, like, some kind of gag Newfound Glory is playing on me. Right. Like, these must be strippers or something. So I'm like, hey, boys, like, bring it over (laughs) here. And they're like, everybody get the fuck out. And it's like... What's going on? Wait, is this for real? Like, and it was for real. They were shutting the club down. So I'm now 
the most pathetically embarrassed person in there because I'm getting thrown out of Webster Hall by the firemen in my little outfit <laughs> carrying my power wheels down like two flights of steps. And then I remember seeing it on the news later that night, and there I am, like, all these firemen, like, these New York City firefighters, you know, they're, like, directing us and getting us out of there because they were worried the cave was going to collapse, or the roof was going to collapse because of everybody jumping up and down so much. So I'm walking out on the street with my little hat on and my stupid (laughs) outfit, and, uh, you know, me and, like, another one of like, I don't remember if it was a fan or if it was a crew guy, but, like, carrying the fire truck on our shoulders. <laughs> and these fire and, like, a news lady talking and the firemen. And I just remember seeing it being like, oh, God, like, this is so bad. <laughs> I mean, but it is pretty funny. <laughs> funny makes it work. And then Common Denominator was always funny. Yeah, that that's just become kind of like this weird, different version of uh, Guar. Like, where... You know, Guar's so known for like the fake blood and and just you know the crazy get-ups and everything. Like, uh, common denominator just has become known with covering everybody in blood and then either paying someone to clean up a club or us being there till three o'clock in the morning <laughs> scrubbing a club. Yeah, weren't you not allowed to do it some places? Yeah, well, with Alkaline Trio, uh, we did it like the first night, and then their tour manager came in and was like. Blood ends no more because it took like 45 minutes. Everything was, I didn't realize like what, because I'm busy singing and whatever. I don't know what the other dudes are doing. And I guess it was everywhere. Like every cable, every monitor. Uh, um, and so when like Skiba came out on stage and like went to grab something, was like, what the hell? <laughs> and stuff doesn't come off that way. I mean, it no. washes off with soap and water, but it leaves a big red like stain. So anything that it touches turns bright red. So you end up with like rosy red palms or you have rosy red cheeks, uh, rosy red shirts, rosy red pants. It's surprised that Alkaline Trio would be opposed to that. If they, I think if it was their blood, it would be different. <laughs> but because this was opening band blood that, and they were, and he didn't even get a chance to like get into the show. Like, I mean, it was like, Hey, yeah, what the fuck? Like, you know, <laughs> Wasn't ready for it. And then I remember like asking him later on the tour, like, can we please do blood tonight? It's a big show. And he was like, yeah, just <laughs> keep it off of certain things. And I remember I had to tell everybody, like, these are meetings that are just amazing to say that I've had where it's like, okay, full effect guys, like no blood in the monitors, no throwing blood at people on the side of the stage, no blood at the monitor guys. No blood on any kind of cabling running across the front of the stage. Blood, keep to yourself. Like, <laughs> What if someone's sitting on the stage? Can we throw blood on them? <laughs> well, so people like get into it and they want to be covered in blood. And right. it's so weird because it's like, you know, kids that could hate the band that show up just to get covered in blood. <laughs> they want to... Like, you just to find every Guar fan. Yeah. yeah, well, that's, you know, it's people that show up like... I'm just going for the experience, which is like, that's cool. I mean, you still paid 20 bucks, so <laughs> right on. But uh, I remember there's a kid in Philly that we call Bloody Guy who shows up in blood and would be, like, outside in, like, December waiting to get into a Reggie show covered in fake blood in, like, his underwear. Pre-bloodied. Yeah. You and hope it's fake. He killed someone, and he needed an alibi. Well done. <laughs> We used to take him out to bars. <laughs> like, no one stands in your way. Like, you're walking into a bar, 
Uh, we're all like <laughs> the you know, naked kid covered in blood. Yeah, lead the way. <laughs> no, we take him out. I remember his name's Chris, and poor Chris. One night we took him out in Philly, and uh, I remember it was like, all right, we're at the bar. Bar was kind of it was okay, so we're like, let's go to the strip club. And so we're like, where's Bloody Guy? And I think he was somewhere. So we just left Bloody Guy at the bar. <laughs> I remember, like, we got to the strip club, and it was like, where's Bloody Guy? And we're like, oh, we must have left him at the bar. And we're like, well, that's got to be the most awkward thing. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you're all alone in yeah. your underwear covered, covered in blood. <laughs> surrounded by drunk people who were like, uh-huh. No. <laughs> I, I ask about the visual stuff, like, because, one, it's, it's so amazing, and, two, you... Like single-handedly upset me with the video for Get Well Soon. That's what the Loch Ness, Loch Ness Monster. Monster. That video is so sad and so awful. And it's, it's basically Loch Ness Monster, you know, is gets his heart broken and just falls into misery. While in the background, James is just singing like this really poppy techno song. And you're only in the video for a little bit. Yeah. But it's this puppet and it's horrifying. <laughs> Well, it's Loch Ness Monster gets divorced, because this was right around when I got divorced. So the Loch Ness Monster gets divorced, and his wife gets the lock. So he has to relocate. So he moves to uh, Toronto. <laughs> As you do. And, 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 yeah. It's a big lake. And, um, so he's uh, like roaming around Toronto, getting wasted. But kind of like everything's like a reflection on what I was up to at that time because, you know, there were nights that I woke up in weird-ass places outdoors. <laughs> like, at the end of the video, he's like passing out on the pier and just like vomiting. And it's, I guess in a way, it's sad. To me, it was funny. There's <laughs> <laughs> a fine line, James. Yeah, I know. I, I was blurring those lines of pathetic and comedy. Um, I remember the puppet they made, the first puppet, because the puppet was like, I don't know, about from me to you, like about four four feet, you know, has this little Hispanic gentleman who operated the head, and then another little Hispanic gentleman who carried the rear, and then another little Hispanic gentleman that kept spraying it with water, <laughs> so, which was like, this is very intricate. <laughs> um, Puppetry's the hard. The first puppet they made was like, I don't know, about 18 inches. And they sent me a bill for like $15,000. And it was like, what? Like, no, this is supposed to be reacting with me in the video. <laughs> the puppet like, is in danger of being trodden upon by a dwarf. Yeah, they're, like, they're like, well, we hope you like this. You know, it took us a long time to make this. And it was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, wait, is this like a miniature scale? Is this like a, you know, an architectural model? <laughs> Of what the real Loch Ness Monster puppet's going to look like. And they're like, no, that is the real one. And it was like, <laughs> how God, am I going to react to this? Like, what this totally what kind of tap. clever you know, camera work are we going to do to make this thing look huge next to me at a bar? I'm going to have to be like 20 feet away. Yeah. But they're like, no, no, it'll look great. So we did like a couple test shots. And it was like, this is so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so we put the video off for like two months while they constructed another one. Because the company... Um, was one of you know it's it's like a pretty large company in in Canada for like special effects and stuff and uh, they just gave it to a kid that was like that was his concept of it and when he gave everybody the you know the sketches of what he was going to do there were no dimensions on it so when he turned in the 18 inch one people were like wait a minute <laughs> no one saw the irony <laughs> no one no even one watched the measurement was 18 even the inches. measurement <laughs> no one watches uh, Rob Reiner's first oh, film god 
Oh, that that that's upsetting. That that's now I'm just offended. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was great because it was you know, it's one of those in life like things that are gonna go wrong will go wrong, mm-hmm. and especially doing stuff like that where it's you know when you're asking other for other people's creativity and creative input, you're always gonna have differences you know in opinion and and how you deal with those differences are like i think what separates everybody with there's people you like to work with people who you don't and i like being one of those people that can kind of really find the humor in everything because i remember like you know i wasn't upset about it where i was like oh my god like you're ruining my music and video and i'm never gonna recover it was more like this is hilarious. <laughs> you guys made an 18-inch Loch Ness Monster. And it's like, and it is pretty awesome. Like, this is great. And the thing was, I was like, I paid for this. Do I get to keep it? And they're like, no. And I was like, well, why not? <laughs> like, I paid for it. And they're like, well, technically that money's not yours. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, Vagrant paid for it. And I was like, so do Vagrant get to keep it? And they're like, no. Like, well, who gets to keep it? Like, we get to keep everything we make. We reserve the right to keep all props, everything. Mm-hmm. It was like... Huh? And you should like, smashed it. Well, right it was like, when I come to Toronto, can I borrow it? <laughs> and like, I was like, if you really want to, yeah. I've yet to take him up on the offer to be like, uh, I'm here to borrow my Loch Ness monster. <laughs> what was the other video off that record that had um? Well, there was Adam. Adam oh, love, love Adam, reality. Yeah, Adam Lazaro was in it. Oh your, God, I lover. just talked to him last night, and uh, you know, because there's a new fluctuation song on the new record, mm-hmm. and. Everybody, well, actually, there's a whole new EP, and everybody's like, you know, who's going to be in this video? Like, what's how how homoerotic is this one going to be? And it's like that just kind of ended up that way because I had a Prince outfit and a Madonna outfit, and then a hotel room, seventy five dollars, and a friend with a video camera, and we made that video. Nice. That was and it was it. Like, you know, of all the thousands of dollars it costs to make other videos, that one cost seventy five. Oh, and $15 for the big party blow-up sign we bought at Target. And it's like one of the, my favorite videos I've ever made was that video. Rollerblading on the beach in a Prince outfit. You can't beat it. <laughs> now, Reg, you see, there's a new Reggie EP? Yeah, well, no, a new Reggie record. Right. Um, a fluctuation EP that comes... This, like, ties into the Kickstarter stuff. Yes. So, like, if you uh, buy the, the uh, full, like, package, like $100, you get... Everything, like the vinyl, the the CD with the two, the CD is actually two CDs. It's the new record, plus it's uh, all the demos from the first records. So it's like all the demos from Greatest Hits, all the demos from Promo Copy. Uh, and then it's a Fluctuation EP, which is like four new elect- electro songs. Um, and then it's also my alter ego Keith Phillips stand-up comedy record, <laughs> which is not even like... It's not comedy, but that's why it's comedy. You're pretty close. I checked it the other day for like 40 yeah. something, right? Yeah, it, it hit 44 this morning, so I'm like 6,000 away from success. That's insane. It's crazy. I, I'm real excited about it. I mean, because I had all the songs and stuff and was wondering how to do it, and I didn't really want to. When I got introduced to Kickstarter, it was like, you know, um, Murder by Death's page. And sorry, I think that's picking that up. Can you hear that from over there? What? I my stomach. Is your stomach growling or oh you a pacemaker? That was stomach. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it went on for so long. <laughs> that was like a 15 second. That was more like a moan. <laughs> but uh, I'll overdub something if it doesn't pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Help. <laughs> that's the ghost of my appetite. But uh, 
It, no, but so I took that that threw me way off track. <laughs> <laughs> so Murder by Death had a page. Oh for yeah, Kickstarter. and I was checking it out and was like, this is really cool because all the stuff that they're offering, like you know, if I would if this was around when I was younger, like you know, when it was like quicksand. Even if quicksand did a Kickstarter page now, I'd buy. I would totally pledge a lot of money to get all the kinds of extra stuff. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know, with Reggie, like, I've always been all about making all kinds of weird little things and, you know, and also keeping the fans very, very involved and, in like, you know, with specials where it's like, everybody meet me at, you know, Central Park at 1 p.m. and we're going to do a, a Reggie and the Full Effect bird tour. Or just weird stuff where it's like, you know, if Please anybody tell me wants... that really happened. No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> we do have a hot dog tour of a uh, hot dog tour of Manhattan planned. Oh wow. So yeah. it's just gonna be just a giant ending of diarrhea. Oh yeah. Well <laughs> it just depends. I don't know. I mean it depends on where we decide to go. Sponsored by depends. Uh <laughs> I could probably get some kind of weird sponsorship. <laughs> Napkin company. Some dude just following us around like, no, use this one. <laughs> use this one. But uh it was watching their, like, seeing their Kickstarter page made me think, like, it's something that I think Reggie fans would totally be into. And uh, then, like, you know, coming up with all the incentives and stuff was a lot of fun because, you know, I'm an ordained minister so I can marry people. Plus, I love making up cover songs and I like, you know, recording and just, I don't know, like, I love using music and just making up songs, whether they're silly or serious or whatever. And uh, it's like, you know, updating. I update it all the time with more dumb songs or whatever, cartoons that I've drawn. I'm not a very good artist, but I'm an artist. I'm good enough to get the point across of what I'm trying to draw. Where it's like, you know, this is a picture of me dressed as Paco standing in front of something. <laughs> and this is the artwork for the song. But, uh, at, you know, watch. I saw Mindless Self-Indulgences page and was like, you know, that was insane. Like, bands that have raised, like, $200,000, like, I'm blown away by that. It's like, wow, like, you guys have insane fan bases. And then Kevin Devine's page did amazing. You know, it was like... So why did you get singled out by Vice? Good question. I tell you, I really felt about that. It was like, man, what is this dude pick? He says, like, in the first paragraph, like, I don't like this band. <laughs> and it's like, so wait, so why are you yelling at me? Why are you... Tell him why are you calling me a has been or a washed up dude or whatever. Right after Veronica Mars makes all the money with the distribution deal by Warner Brothers yeah. for their film, <laughs> it, it, it was it. it was interesting. Have you I thought get, of kind of releasing a rebuttal or anything? Like nah, because if anything, it did I, I think like you know for most things, I don't think Reggie fans really give a crap about Vice, but and then there's like I thought it was an art magazine. Like well, it's not angry it, music reviews, but it probably actually like was people might not have known about the Kickstarter. I, I'm sure be, it helped had, reach. Well, you know, we're like, well, I didn't even know about it. Sean from Coalesce texted me and was like, "Yo, you just got shredded in Vice," and I was like, <laughs> "What? What? What's Vice?" And he's like, "Oh, it's an online. It's a huge online magazine." I was like, "Okay." I remember seeing it like you know, like Barnes and Noble has Vice and stuff like that. Like, um, and. I, I don't know. I read it. It was like, eh, this dude's my biggest fan. But uh, you've probably read bad reviews before. Oh yeah. Well, I'm like, it kind of comes to the territory where I was sort of wondering when there was going to be somebody complaining. I just feel like that dude just kind of like I don't know whether it was he meant to have it all directed towards me or he was just mad that 
bands are doing this with Kickstarter. We've had that discussion a lot talking yeah. about it because we we did a Kickstarter to to yeah, launch like, ourselves and we got crap for it. Which was weird because we didn't set up like a giant goal. And we got yeah, for five grand. So I can imagine now people are like, Why do you need fifty grand to make That's a record? That's what everybody wonders and it's like, Okay, this is not just to record the record. This is everything. Like this is the vinyl pressing plant in Brooklyn, like this is setting up everything, you know, the artwork, doing the inlays, like this is the whole process of music, of getting it out there. Does it include PR? It does. Well, PR, that just, I mean, depends if there's money left for it. Right. I mean, if there is, then that would be amazing. If there's not, then I have to start calling in favors from people and being like, hey, uh, Steve, put me on your show, you know, <laughs> to do PR. Um it's like, you know, just thinking about all the stuff where it's, you know, you're advertising merchandise to sell. And this is also all the shipping, which is, you know, a lot of it is overseas in Japan, um, Australia, where it's not exact. It's it's basically the same cost of making a hoodie to ship a hoodie to right. like Japan. And it's, you know, and also main, you know, the art, like the hoodie artwork. It's not that they're super expensive, but it adds up after a while. You know, if you make a thousand hoodies that are costing you fifteen dollars each, it's like that's fifteen thousand dollars. Have you thought about doing what? I remember when when Amanda Palmer got off the flack for raising a one point two. That million. was insane. But then she got all this shit for it because she she put out her budget of how she was dividing everything up, and we talked about it with other people, uh, even here, <laughs> who said, "I looked at that, and that it doesn't have to be that way." You know, it's, well, it's the thing I'm trying to do everything as cheap as possible, mm -hmm. but at the same time, want it to be as the the best it can be. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's you know, I'm doing it with Ed and Lawrence, Ed Rose and Lawrence again because he did the first Reggie Records, and you know, he's just and he's retiring this year, so it's like really? I want to get in and get one last Reggie record with Ed, and uh, and Ed's part of the reason why the the records the earlier records are like the way they are and funny and stuff. Cause Ed's one of those people creatively that, and he's such a cynic that he'll be like, uh, that's not that funny, James. Why don't you try something like this? <laughs> and usually he's right. So, you know, he, he's definitely a help in the creative process. Um, and it's just kind of like, okay, there's give yourself a month to do that. And a month in a recording studio, like, and a, professional recording studio with an engineer and someone you know that's like you're talking about five thousand dollars a week like three to five thousand dollars a week and you add it all together at the end and then you're talking about you know your travel expenses or anything that goes wrong in the studio you're, you also have to buy tape if you're going to do it reel to reel or hard drives mm -hmm. if you're going to do this it's like every little thing that gets added in when you're running the whole show and i think like you know, you can do it super cheap. In that guy's article, it was like, I remember you said you recorded, you know, under the tray for $1,300 or whatever. And it was like, and that was done, like, in a week. And we were lucky, like, you know, and, like, I'm not happy with the way under the tray went because I didn't want to do it in a week. Um, we did it at Ed's house because we didn't have the budget to do a bigger record. Um, you know, Last Stop Crappy Town had a budget of, like, $50,000 and it sold like 6,000 like it was a total flop and it was like but the record sounds incredible you know as far as like wanting it to sound a certain way that it, it worked out but 
it's also t- 2013, and it's not 2001. I'm not recording this record in a bedroom, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I'm not playing all the instruments. Like, you know, if I can afford to get professional, like friends of mine who are professionals, and of course they need to be paid for their time and stuff like that. It's just a lot of little things that add up. It's interesting that you feel like you have to justify your art when you are asking people. People don't have to donate. Well, no, the people that aren't donating are the ones who want to know where the money's going. Right. The people who have donated are like, I don't give a shit. Just give me the record. Like, <laughs> I just want to hear the songs. It's like your peers are like, well, you know, you can't factor in like ice cream and cereal <laughs> into your record budget. It's like, I Why wasn't. Not? Yeah, you were. Why couldn't you? <laughs> oh, no, you can't. I'm sure you can. <laughs> you know, if that's how you want to roll, then ice cream and cereal every day in the studio. But uh, it's it's weird because it is really like, it's more the peers. And um, and I don't know, I, I really don't know where it comes from. It's more like you should be supportive of one another and be like, yo, I hope your Kickstarter works. I hope that this goes well. Not like... <sighs> I'm like, how dare you ask for that much money? Like, I, I think it's because it's something new, and I feel like no one know has figured out. Like, it's kind of uncharted territory. A little yeah, bit. it is, and I think it's great because it it it. I sit and it's it's been insane because with all the other stuff going on, I sit on the computer all day talking to the pleasures or the backers. You know, because they have questions about stuff. And that's, you know, you have to answer their questions. And they want to know about the private shows. They want to know about the vinyl. They want to know. And, you know, I answer their questions all day. And some of them ask me the same question every other day. They're just psyched that you're responding. And that's cool. That's what Andrew Ellis told me. He's like, some of these kids just want you to respond. And it's like, well, you know, it's, they've pledged $20, like, I'll respond to them. Like, you know, I'll try to answer their question, even if it is about Gerard. (laughs) I'll do my best to answer it, get them focused back to the Reggie record. And how many uh, questions are you getting about the MCR breakup? Not as many (laughs) as at first, like, well, what was it, like two weeks ago? Then there were more. Um, But uh, now it's really more filtered down to like, you know, uh, with Frank and uh, Frank and I announcing that we have another thing called Death Spells. Now with people asking like, you know, when when's Death Spells coming to Atlanta? When's Death Spells putting out a record? Blah blah blah. Um, Who's doing what on that? Yeah, are you like are you singing? Is Frank? Oh, singing? Frank sings. Okay. I just do all the music. Okay, it's another one of those things where when I was in California working on the MCR record, um, you know, we'd be at the, I lived across the street from the recording studio, so my apartment was like me sitting there with my computer and keyboard or I was at the recording studio just, you know, making up songs, like whether electronic or rock or whatever, like just have all this stuff. And at the end of, you know, coming back to New York in October, I was like, I have all this music. And, you know, Frank, I had sent him a bunch of the electronic stuff and I was like, we should do like an industrial band, like just for fun, like something electronic and just whatever. And Frank's like, yeah. So we started making up vocals of this stuff and we've ended up with like 13 or 14 songs and, you know, got offered to open up for Mindless Self-Indulgence. And so now we have a live show worked out and it's going to be interesting. Our very first show is in front of like 2,000 people in Baltimore. So we've never performed live yet except for... uh like the dude at the rehearsal space in New Jersey, who's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> is it just both of you? Is it just two? It's people? It's just two people. Oh wow! 
Yeah, it, it's it's audio. It's a more of an audio visual thing, where it's like you know we're cutting and pasting videos. Uh, you know, there's a lot of synthesizers. It's a, it's and, a techno band. Yeah, basically. Yeah. How did you end up in My Chemical Romance? Like, because you're in Newfound Glory, and then you're in My Chemical Romance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it was right at the end of Reggie. Like the the like. Uh, I'd been I'd had a real bad falling out with my manager, um, bad falling out with the accountant. Like basically, for some reason, every time I went out on tour with Reggie, I was losing eight thousand dollars. No, and it was always eight thousand dollars. Like three separate times, eight thousand dollars at the end of the tour is gone, and you know, and like there's all this finger pointing and all this, and this was after I stopped using drugs, so they couldn't point the finger at me anymore, and I'm like. You know, well, I'm off drugs and alcohol, so I don't know where this money's going. Now it's making me wonder if the previous times, like, you know, what... To me, it was like, you guys are in charge of handling the business sides, and this is the business side. Like, my job is to fulfill the touring and the songwriting and stuff. They get paid before I get paid, so why are they not doing, you know... And then they take it off the top, which most people don't realize. But that was my problem with it, and, you know, it ended up blowing into a huge fight. Um... And while this is going on, Gerard calls me and is like, hey, we just fired our keyboard player. Can you fly up tonight and play? You know, we have a show tomorrow. And I was like, well, tonight's too late. Can I fly up tomorrow morning? Flew up to Vermont or New Hampshire and started playing with him the very first night of Black Parade. Um, Got fitted for my Black Parade jacket that morning. It showed up that night like five minutes before I went on stage. Learned all the songs in like an hour. And... Played in it for seven years. Because <laughs> they would play that whole record. Yeah, front to back. And then I started playing on Revenge, too. Because there were a couple keyboard parts in Revenge that they wanted. You learned you know. all that whole record in an hour. I hope, for those of you listening, how much of a badass James is when it comes to music. It's weird. I have an ear for that. Like, we could play a game if you if we had a keyboard here where you would play me something and I could play it right back to you. I used to do it in Lawrence. That was like uh, the, the drunk bar trick that people would do like stump james and they would play a song on the radio for like 30 seconds and then i had like five seconds to figure it out and play it right back really yeah dude i hate you no it's just one of those yeah but like i can't you know i'm the worst at doing other stuff like i you have pitch and stuff like natural pitch yeah you do yeah it's, it's weird <laughs> I, I just feel like you know it's, it's it's a gift that i i have i don't know why but it's a fun thing to do. I mean, it's a fun it's trick. Awesome. It's not, I don't consider myself like an idiot savant because I think that's weird. I don't have <laughs> autism or anything. No, so. it's just like, you know, it's just one of those skills. People, they say that, you know, that you can develop some of that, but mostly the people that are good at it seem to just have it, right? Yeah. Like it was in school, it was, uh, there's a, a class in a conservatory called ear training mm-hmm. where uh, a guy or like the teacher will, play a line on the piano and let it be like six or seven notes and you basically have to write down what they are and then you know go from there or you have to sing it right back to him and it was weird it was like you know it was only class i think i got like a hundred percent in <laughs> where it was like kids would be like pissed because i'd be in their group or if i wasn't in their group people would be like whatever because <laughs> it's like sightseeing on stuff is so hard if you're not if it's not part of I was never good at it, and I would study so hard, and I could never do it. And I feel like either you have it or you don't. Yeah, and it's weird when you meet 
Like, you know, in music school, there would be people who are really good at it, and then there are people who can read like crazy but don't have an ear. Right. So they, they really don't know how, like, to make something sound. Like, they know how to play it good, but they don't know how to make it sound good. And I don't know. It's just one of those things where since I was a little kid, like, my brother took piano lessons before I did, and he can do it, too, where he would figure out how to play, like, Pet Shop Boys songs or Terrence Trent Darby or uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark theme. <laughs> and I remember, like, our my first piano teacher let me play Close Encounters, but I didn't look at the music at all. I just knew it because I knew the song from the movie. It was right. like, bum, 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 bum. It was like, yes, like, this song is great. That's my recital at like seven years old. And I remember my teacher always being like, no, follow the music. And I was like, but in the movie, the theme goes like this. And she's like, you're not following the movie. You're playing it off this. It's like, I don't want to play the sheet music. I want to play it the way it is in the, the way movie. It really is. I want to see the aliens in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> can you do that with other instruments? Oh uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, once if you can get a, a tone out of stuff, wow, you know, even drums. Yeah, well, you just follow someone else's beat. Yeah, but like, but still, like, don't I'm... ask me to play like jazz. <laughs> but I heard when I t- gave drum lessons, there was this kid named Max who used to show up in like Umbros with a ten dollar bill in his pants, like a knife and drumsticks in his teeth, with no shirt on and no shoes. At like 9 p.m. at night and be like, my grandma just dropped me off. <laughs> like, Max, what are you doing here? It's Tuesday. And you'd be like, I'm here for my drum lesson. <laughs> like, okay, what do you want to learn? I want to learn that Neil Peart song. It's like, what? Like, Rush, man. <laughs> be like, okay, well, you got to give me a chance to kind of study this for a minute. <laughs> like, no, no, Tom Sawyer, let's go. <laughs> like... Because I needed $10 to go downstairs and like, be like, Max, go in the garage. And he'd go in the garage and give him like a, I mean, he was like 17, but he'd give him like a cigarette. Like, go in the garage, Max, smoke this cigarette. And Max would come back in and I'd have like the first four bars figured out and uh, be able to play it for Max and be like, okay, follow what I do, Max. Here's the drum beat, the beginning of Tom Sawyer and have Max totally botch it like horribly and just like you know work on that for 20 minutes call your grandma <laughs> tell her to come get you give me my 10 dollars <laughs> why you have a knife <laughs> I remember my mom came into my room and she was like James uh, one of your students is outside and he's only got on soccer shorts and he's got a knife <laughs> it's like it's gotta be Max this is the same kid who one time stole where were you him. teaching Beirut <laughs> no Liberty Missouri <laughs> He stole a motorcycle because it was in someone's front yard, and he was tired of walking. <laughs> so it was like one of those little pup bikes, you know, like like a 50cc, yeah. like something you see like crew guys cruise around on Warp Tour because they're badass. Yeah. <laughs> like, he uh, just stole it. <laughs> he stole it out of someone's yard and shows up at our friend's house with it. And we're like, where'd you get that motorcycle? And he's like, I found it. And then... At the end of the night, he took it back <laughs> on his way home because it was his neighbor. Like I guess he walked past his neighbor's house, saw the bike sitting there, and it's the kind that doesn't need a key, I guess. Yeah. And he started it, rode it over to our friend Conrad's. <laughs> we drove around on it all night. About 3 o'clock in the morning, he drove home, dropped it off in their yard, and then walked back to his house. Oh, Max. It's like, well, he also went to prison. This is funny. He also went to prison <laughs> For breaking into the church across the street from his grandma's house, 
stealing all the musical equipment, the PA, the bass amp, keyboards, guitars, all that stuff. His mo- grandma lived on a, like a, a busy, like, you know, sort of highway. And they ran across this highway. With the gear? Well, they had to wait for traffic to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so they were holding all this, like, first Presbyterian church written on, like, the bass amp. Him and his friend, like, standing on the side of the road. Waiting for like cars to go by and for a break for them to like waddle back across the highway with these huge amplifiers and keyboards that all say First Presbyterian Church. And the place that they're coming from has a huge sign that says First Presbyterian Church. (laughs) So they're walking into this tiny house across the road and like someone was like, I think somebody's breaking (laughs) into the church and stealing all the gear and moving it across the street. Because I guess the cops showed up and were pounding on his grandma's door and we're like, all right, we know you did it. Like, and he's like, did what? And they're like, we can see all the equipment in the living room. And it all says First Presbyterian Church on it. You're going to tell us, like, no, they said we could have it. And they're like, <laughs> Maybe they did. They don't have to pay any taxes. Yeah. I mean, oh, can true. I just say, can I just say, please, can we please note that the gateway that Neil Pert leads to prison. Can we make that connection here now? Yeah, yeah. So, kids, Eventually. just don't try to learn Neil Peart songs. Don't learn Tom Sawyer. L- leave it to Neil. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. I went off on a you tangent. Go to prison. <laughs> of course. And that story is just too funny. That, that story is amazing. He was pretty amazing. Like, <clears throat> his, uh, he kept, you know, like, when I had students and stuff, like, they would perform. So I would try to go check out them performing. Like, I one kid uh, who actually made it, like, to nationals as a percussionist and it was like that was my kid like you know i taught him roughs like i, nice. I, I was his first exposure to rudiments <laughs> but um but uh, like you max sh- on the other hand he went the other way <laughs> but, <laughs> says, do you still teach no uh, no i've thought about it my schedule is too busy i thought about i used to teach piano too and uh like teaching basic percussion and basic piano like it's a lot of fun teaching little kids i mean it's just it's amazing because you know they kids either want to do it or they don't like one of my percussion students his parents would pay me a lot of money to play top gun on nintendo because that was all we did for 30 minutes <laughs> like it'd show up and you'd be like whatever and like, check out this cool he had the top gun chair like uh you remember that was the air force chair that came that you could buy for the nintendo that hooked up and it had the controls in the uh, arms and that was like the top gun chair and you it's got amazing. to be and you got to be goose no, I think I was Maverick. I mean, everybody that played was Maverick. <laughs> but uh, I remember him sitting there. He would like, you know, watch TV or we'd play Nintendo or whatever. Never touched his snare drum. And then finally, his mom was like, "You can take that home with you one night." And I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "He's never going to use it." He told us how much he hates it. He likes you, but he hates that. So I went. Can I have a like, gun share? Yeah. Well, I wish that was what she gave. She gave me like his Ludwig snare drum, but. Oh, There's nice. still like three hundred dollars. Like yeah, you know, you were just a babysitter. So your focus now is Reggie, because it seems like you've done so many bands over the years. You have this thing with Frank, but is Reggie kind of for the next year? Is that kind of your main? Yeah, well, I, I, I want to keep everything going. Like Reggie's definitely going to take more of my time than anything else. But uh, Matt and I have like the new thing going too, and uh, we just had an EP. I think it comes out on like Record Store Day or somewhere close to that, and it's on EVR. So what's that called? It's just we're calling it Matt and James because okay. between him and me, like him and me is not too bad though. Um, <laughs> but between <laughs> both of us, we have so many band names. Like Matt's got a ton. 
Like Matt's got Los Sorda, New Amsterdam's, Matt Pryor, the Get Up Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, you know, let's just not mess with the name because then it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you need to worry about branding. I'm like, that's just a new term because, you know, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean like the turn of the century. Like no one talked about branding. It was just kind of like, you know, people identified you with what you did. And uh, we're like, instead of worrying about it, let's just call it Matt and James. And like, well, people are going to get that confused with Matt and Kim. It's like, I don't think so. I don't think so either. <laughs> like, not at all. But that would um, be a good tour. I said that we could be the Matt, Matt, James, and Kim tour. <laughs> and actually, together, we would make a full band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could play their songs and our songs as a four-piece. It would be, be wonderful. Good. I love them. Like, they were on the Honda Civic tour with MCR, <laughs> and I got to know them and stuff, and they're a lot of fun. That'd be great. Yeah, they're pretty crazy to hang out with. Yeah, they're like, that's just a good time. Like, yeah. I think they got the formula down. <laughs> like, you just know. Be happy and be nice to everybody, and you're good but, to go. You know, and th- that's. And th- your song should be good, too. Yeah. yeah. But, like, wow. the philosophy of it of being, like, just, you know, you're lucky to be doing what you're doing, so you should never take that for granted. And I've never understood people that are, like, just negative. I mean, I know there's negative people out there, but it's like, you know. When you like people in larger bands who have you know ten thousand people coming paying fifty dollars to see you every night, and you have anything you want, but yet you are still a miserable sack of yeah. shit. And it's a hassle to get up there on that stage. Yeah, there's, and it's like you know they've made everything so called. These people are annoying me. Yeah. These fans <laughs> that fucking love me and buy my merch for seventy five dollars a hoodie, and you know want to sleep with me for no reason. <laughs> like fuck them. Like. <laughs> Why would you be like that? Like I, that to me is it's like you know what? Like you should be giving away all of your clothing like to these people mm-hmm. because they're allowing it so that you if you're very, if you're smart enough you'll never have to work a day in your life. And you're like, you know, and there's a very select group of people that are allowed to reach that level or around allowed to make a living doing being in a band or, or just having support and you know, I'm lucky enough that I have been able to make a living being a musician and it's blown my mind, but you know, it like Matt and Kim, like they're the same way. Like when I first met them and from talking to them was like, you guys, like we get along. Like, you know, you just know sometimes like you're like, you guys are on the same wavelength as me when it comes down to being a musician. You're just happy to be here. Yeah. You know? And if it, if it wasn't here and it was someplace shitty, you'd still be happy to be there because you're happy to be doing what you're doing. And I think it shows, yeah, those people are negative. They're going to be negative no matter how successful they are. Isn't it? Yeah, it blows my mind when it's just negative people. Where it's like, wait, why Why do you hate everything? It's so kid in Kansas City once that was just telling me one night, and he was like, I hate everything you do. And I was like, and you hate me enough to come and tell me that in person. <laughs> like, it's like, why would you even waste your time to come tell me? He's like, it's like just looking at you makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, nothing I've done. Like, do, like, do you like music at all? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, so you don't like Coalesce? No. Stupid. <laughs> like, you don't like the Get Up Kids? No. It's fucking chick band. Okay. It's like you don't like Newfound Glory? No. It's stupid too. <laughs> like you don't like Reggie and the Full Effect? Don't even get me started about how stupid that is. <laughs> And then it's like, um, it's like, cause I really think I've covered a broad spectrum of styles here. So it's like, what style do you like? And he's like, rockabilly. 
<laughs> like, I haven't done that one. He's like, well, don't even mess with it, man. It's like, oh, my, you <laughs> ruining that one, too. <laughs> I was like, can I buy you a beard? Yeah. Uh, but I'm taking it with anger. Like, <laughs> totally, like, he didn't say that part. But, like, you know, he could tell it was like, well, let me buy you a beer and a shot. Like, doesn't mean we can't be friends. It's like, yes, it does. <laughs> like, the fact that I hate everything you do means I cannot be your friend. It's like, well, what if I don't like what you do for a living, you know, mechanic, <laughs> subway sandwich maker, I come in and judge artist. you. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Sandwich artist. <laughs> like, I'll come in and make fun of you, tell you what you, that sandwich sucks. <laughs> yeah, cold cut combo. Horrible. <laughs> what do you like? I like sandwiches without bread. <laughs> just, uh, you know, flip the tides. <laughs> Turn them tables. But, uh, it, yeah, negativity is something weird. I mean, everybody has bad luck. Everybody has bad things happen, like, you know, in life. Like, that's kind of like life is learning how to deal with things that are beyond your control going wrong, you know. And that's just it. It's like, I think you can judge, not judge people, but you can... Uh, really know a person by the way they deal with those situations. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have lots of people close to me who are a lot similar to me. So, you know, like it could be the end of the world and we'd just figure like, well, there's nothing we can do. So what do you got? We'll just figure out something fun to do for like 20 minutes until it happens. But you've also taken a lot of negative experiences on paper, like a divorce or yeah. drugs and stuff and put it into music in kind of a humorous way, which I feel like a lot of people... It's, I, I think Can't. it's being able to look at yourself and look at your mistakes or anything you do wrong and, and not, you know, let it define you and more like letting it inspire you. And, uh, with like the drug thing, it was like, you know, when I, when that became a problem and it was like, you know, I'm looking at it now, I'm like, oh, like how, how did I let this happen? Like I knew I, I was better than that. Like I knew I was. And then it was like, no, you know what? I wasn't. I'm normal. Like, you know, I made a mistake, and now what the thing to do is not wallow in my mistakes and let it, like, consume me, but move forward and say, like, okay, well, that happened. It's never going to happen again. But, by the way, there were some really funny dudes at rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even, like, going to rehab was, like, as as bizarre and, and, and crappy as it was, it was funny. <laughs> the only white kid... And, you know, it was like group time and everybody's talking like, I'm the only one. It was my first time there. I was the only one who it was my first time there. there were and it was I like, you know, my uh, I wish the best for everybody that wants to recover from something like that because it, it is tough and it's drugs and it's an addiction. And, you know, for some people, it's a lot harder than for other people. And uh, but man, some of them tell some crazy stories. And. The thing is, like, a lot of them don't even think that what they've done is wrong, which blew my mind. Or it was like, you know, this guy was like, the only reason I'm here is because my wife says I threw her down the stairs and I've st she fell. <laughs> she was drunk. And it's like, she fell because she was drunk. And it's like, I can see how that situation would be a little bit confusing to everybody involved. Because <laughs> you're wasted. She's wasted. Somehow she's at the bottom of the stairs and the cops have been called. <laughs> so, you know, you probably should take that with a grain of salt and just kind of show up to rehab and do what you got to do, then go home. 
So maybe not be in that situation. Yeah, yeah. try not. That's yeah. the thing. That the goal is avoid that situation. <laughs> yeah. Then there was a dude who used to show up and sell bootleg DVDs. And like the cops, you know, cops would bring in people that were ordered by courts to attend stuff. So, um, what'd you do? The Salvation Army rehab? Or? No, it was like uh, state, New York State, okay. down by Coney Island. Some of those are, I mean, with the court appointed ones, sometimes it's <coughs> Salvation Army, which is hardcore. I have some friends go through that. Well, they had people that, you know, would come in and uh, they'd bring them in in the orange suits. And this dude had like a big scar from like his nose to his ear, and it was totally a knife scar. Totally like someone tried to slice this dude's face. And uh, I remember he looked just like uh, that. Ke- What's his name? Kevin something that dated Britney Spears or the father oh, of her baby. Federline? Kevin Federline looked just like him. And I remember sitting there and be like, is that Kevin Federline? <laughs> like, does he really have a knife scar? And just like Hollywood's never let us know. And I remember sitting there staring at him and like he's looking at me and I must have been daydreaming. And that dude was like, the fuck you looking at? And I was like, I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> but uh, one dude, like, got up once and threw a chair across the room. and was like, this isn't working. And just threw a chair. And then we heard him peel out in his truck. And the, inst- the instructor was like, well, you know, this doesn't work for everybody. And then, like, a week later, he was back. And he's like, I'm sorry. Sorry about the chair. Sorry about peeling out. <laughs> like okay, that's so like you're throwing the drum story at all. Yeah, uh, you know, but uh, did you only go once? Yeah, I just did that that did one, one summer because it was it was just something where moving to New York, I really got into like the nightlife and being out, you know, and DJing and stuff. And there, it's New York, you know. There's plenty of people who are ready to take the party somewhere else at 5 a.m. And so. You know, me being me, I'm very agreeable and like, you know, hey, James, do you want to go to the after party, after party, after party yeah. at 7 a.m.? Like, well, yes, I do. <laughs> like, okay, I'll be there. I remember being on some tour with you and going to Misshapes with you and then everyone was leaving like when it was closing and it, you were supposed to, and then it's like, no, James is going somewhere else. And it was like, dude, what's even open in New York? They're like, yeah, they found some place. Like yeah, there's always some place. Yeah. And like, you know, and when you get to know like owners and, and like all the club people, it's like every night, you know, and it's the same people and they're not bad people. Everybody's just, the, this is the nightlife of New York and it is tons of fun. <laughs> like when it's too much fun, especially for me being from Liberty, Missouri, where it was like, you know, I just got overwhelmed by it. And then, you know, it took taking that step back to be like, okay, I could still be me without all the me that was going on there. <laughs> like, you know, because I was never into it before, and, like, you know, I wasn't a big drug person or a big drinker that, like, you know, alcohol. I liked weed when I was in high school, but that's about it. It's just, it's never been my personality, so, you know, it was kind of, I call that period Dark James. <laughs> that was dark. Like, last stop, Crappy Town, Dark James. <laughs> Some of the songs are not get married to. It's still Reggie, but a lot of it's Dark James. It's a dark record. It That's is a but, dark fucking album. Too. Yeah. Well, no. And <clears throat> it was like, you know, me trying to kid myself that going through a divorce was going to be easy and saying, like, oh, this is just like breaking up with somebody, it just costs a little bit more money. No. <laughs> it costs a shit ton of money. And it's like life ending. Like, it, it's like, you know, there are times when I'm looking at paperwork and I'm like, I, I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to be able to, to do this. And, 
It, it was painful. I don't recommend it for anybody. I recommend, you know, try to work it out. If you're having marital problems, if it's a must-happen thing, then I'm sorry that it has to happen. But if it's not and you can work it out, work it out because... That's kind of the point of marriage is that... It, you shouldn't have to get to that should, place, but... If you, if you if you have tried every avenue, and that's yeah, the only amicable solution... And they know. say, you know, like, like 50% of marriages now end in divorce, and it's like... So then why are that 50% of people getting married? Like you could Because people get married in the infatuation phase and they don't realize that it's work and that you it's hard, you know. Yeah, I mean? and it's getting harder. You I know, think. but you you've been remarried for how long now? 7 years. See? I yeah. mean, it's it's just it's how it if that's what had to happen at that point then it did, you know. Yeah, and and you know and it, it is it the partnership part of it is I think what's the most important is, you know, having the like the life that I have that's for the time I was in MCR being gone all the time it's like you know it's not easy but at the same time there is an easiness to it because every time we got together it was like you know we only have four days to hang out so let's do everything possible in four days mm -hmm. so you end up having like these four day amazing field trip party kind of things where it's like we have to have Chinese food twice we have to go to this place we have to go see four movies we have to sit on the couch and play with the dogs like Here's our days. And then we ended up usually just hanging out in our pajamas for four days, like eating bacon. <laughs> <laughs> you still have the Bulldogs? Yeah. I got uh, three now and then one Newfoundland. Did you, oh, you got a Newfoundland? Yeah. Sweet Jesus. So, it, like, did you ride it here? I wish. She's got bad hips. I would <coughs> totally ride that Both dog. the big though. dogs. Yeah. Enough, that's and, uh, she, her name's Maggie, and she's a big sweetie. Her drool is toxic. Dude, that's the thing with those big fucking dogs, man. Like, she's the water dog, and we have a pool, and she does not like getting in the pool. It's she has webbed paws. Like, she's meant to swim. Like, if I put, like, okay, this is not being cruel Aren't to my dog. Aren't the webbed paws for pool. snow? No, they're for swimming. She's a water dog. She's the Newfoundland. They're rescue dogs. Like, they'll swim out and grab you. Whenever I'm in the pool, if I, like, splash by her, she tries to, like, lunge in with her head and, like, grab me with her teeth like you know to pull me out of the water that's her natural yeah. instinct never works i mean she's also big and slow but, um, <laughs> so if you're really drowning it's really not a whole yeah lot. she's gonna stand there and be like wolf <laughs> <laughs> wolf but uh i'll push her in the pool sometimes just because it's like maggie you could swim uh, you know when she's in the water like her paws touch the bottom of the pool and her head's above the water so she could just walk <laughs> she doesn't have to swim but she gets in and she's just kind of like, what am I supposed to do now, you son of a bitch? <laughs> and I could eat you. Yeah, but then she like finally starts to move and like figures out like, oh, this is kind of cool. So she'll move her paws a little bit and then swim right back to the steps and climb out of the pool. And then that's it. The rest but, of the summer she won't even go Is she a rescue deck. too? Because remember your bulldogs were from rescue, right? Uh, no, she's not. She was, uh, she's from a breeder in Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, our, like, Someone who breeds giants. Yeah, but they are the cutest puppies, though. Yeah, I mean, she as a puppy was as big as our bulldog Tallulah, which was funny because it was like you know, you see this in the dark, you can't see her because she's completely like she is the goth dog, <laughs> all black, black everything. Like she is murdered out Newfoundland, <laughs> and I remember like it was she was a baby and I was in bed, I'm laying there and. uh I just hear this, and I was like, where's it coming from? Like, I know it's Maggie. Where are you? It's like, Maggie, where are you? They're like, 
And then all of a sudden, I got this like whack across the face. <laughs> it was Maggie's paw. And I look up, yeah. and there are these two eyes, like you're just right in my face. Like her mouth was right on my face. And I was like, "What are you doing?" She's a ninja. Oh yeah, no, totally. That's like stealth breathing, I guess. <laughs> but uh, she had to go out. But like you know, she had to go out. She was just letting you know it. Anytime. Yeah, that anytime I will be right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, she uh, she did that a couple of times. One time I woke up with her on my chest and I couldn't figure out why my chest was so heavy because it was dark. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, 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 in the bed. And then it's like I go and touch. I'm like, furry. I'm like, oh, I'm like, fucking I'm Maggie. I'm having a heart attack like, and I'm furry. Yeah, like, what is on me? It's something furry. It's a nightmare. Monsters are sitting on me. And like, no, it's Maggie because then you hear her like, that's a hell of a way to wake up. <laughs> yeah, the... The, the new thing now at the Bulldogs is uh, I've been home for a while, which normally I'm not. So I'm there like snuggle buddy. So I have three and two of them are pretty large. Um, and the large ones like to lay on me. Well, they're dense. Yeah, the that's they're, they're just dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they sleep most of the day. <laughs> so if I'm like working on the computer, like I'll end up and my chair for the computer is about this size. And I'll end up with like. Tallulah, the oldest bulldog who, like, you know, wants to get on my lap. And she'll claw into my leg and pull herself up onto my lap. Well, then that pisses off Willie, the middle bulldog, because then she wants to come somewhere. So if I'm not careful, I end up with an all-out bulldog brawl. <laughs> like, dog, we bought every DVD the Dog Whisperer came out with just to find the bulldog clips. <laughs> so you're like, what do we do with these two? Like, ever since we brought Willie back, like, a. Uh, Lou was like two when we brought Willie home. And when Willie turned one and Lou was three, it has been, you know, like cage match in our house. If we're, if we don't pay attention to them, like, and watch them, they will tear each other apart. We've had to go to the dog emergency room so many times. And it's over like nothing. Just these two alpha dogs that have standoffs. <laughs> it's over nothing to you. Yeah, well, exactly. It's <laughs> like, no, that's my section of the couch and you, I saw you brush my blanket. Why are you staring at me that way? Probably the same things people get into fights to at bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, when you really break it down, it's like, you bump me. Fuck you. <laughs> <True. laughs> you know, I don't like the way that guy's looking at me. It's like, dogs are doing the same thing. Like, you brushed me. So, so we're waiting on uh, the new Reggie record and then a tour, or a big tour. Yeah, the tour will probably be December, January. Okay. It just depends if the Kickstarter succeeds. Everything green lights and goes into full effect, no pun, um, in June. And cool. that starts, and, you know, once that's done, it's basically everybody that's pledged will get, you know, the digital download comes immediately when it's mastered. But uh, the physical record and vinyl, you know, it takes a little bit more time. Vinyl, I guess, is like three months. And the tour and then party on. Yeah, tour of Matt and James, uh, full length record, Death Bell's record, Death Bell's tour. We now we're starting to get more offers from people, and so uh, basically, it's nothing new for you. You always have a lot going on. Yeah, trying to. Well, then I've been trying to do a lot of like scoring stuff. Like we did a song for the Rizzo's movie, The Man with the Iron Fist. If you if you watch the movie, um, the fight scene in the whorehouse at the end. You scored it? Yeah, me and uh, the other dudes in MCR. 
Like, it didn't get released as a My Chemical Romance song because there's no vocals or anything on it. But uh, that was like, you know, us putting songs in a movie. And I'm hoping to do some more of that. And I really want to get into video game music because I love it. It's like just, you know, it's it's like samples where you just write like a two-minute blip of music and they put it on a loop. Except for Skyrim. <laughs> That's like an epic soundtrack. Cool, thanks. No sweat. That was a good, that was good. I always want to end with Rim. I know a lot of you could just listen to James talk forever. I know we could. Yeah. And we made him talk forever after we ended the podcast. <laughs> I know. We That's kept true. going. We had a whole other podcast yeah, after we, did. we turned uh, off the tape machine. That we, that we can't later. air. So just can't, if, sadly can't air. If you think we talked about it, we did. <laughs> if you want to ask us what we talked about, we won't answer you, but you can go to facebook.com slash going off track. You can go to our podcast website and listen to all the episodes. You can donate to our podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. Um, we're going to do a, a ton of Vine videos for kicks that we're, that we're not going to do that. No, but, no point. But, but if you do donate more than $500, we'll go sit down with you in a bar and tell you what he told us. Yeah. That's a deal. All right, fine. Yeah, that's I'm in. And um, we're gonna do another live one at some point. We yes. were talking about that. We we did a launch one, and we did one. If, I don't know, like six months ago or something. Oh, it was longer than that. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was about a year. So yeah, we're overdue. So keep an eye out for that. Because the hangover from the last one's just starting dude. to wane. <laughs> that was. Rough. I honestly can't. Like I've listened to parts of that one, but I'm like, man, I like can't really listen to it. <laughs> So if you want to watch us and listen to us drink again, yeah. it's going to happen. <laughs> yes. If you thought we had no inhibitions before, check us out on yeah. Five Points. If you thought there were a lot of bad puns in the studio, <laughs> <laughs> wait until six beers. <laughs> and I start talking about the Simbaism and the Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. Or for me, one beer. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week.